Good morning, my Go Church family. How we feeling this morning, evening, afternoon, whatever time you're watching? My name is David Waldrop. I serve as the campus pastor of our Germantown, Maryland campus. And uh, so shout out to everyone at our second location up there in Maryland. Germantown family, I love you. Can't wait to see you next week. Come on, do you love your Germantown family that you maybe have never met, but we'll meet them. We'll all meet up in heaven one day. It'll be awesome. And also, it's our tradition every single week, uh, we honor all of our military men and women and all of our courageous first responders. I come from a military family, the highest, highest respect for all of you who are serving our country right now. Thank you so much. Come on, both campuses, can we let them know how much we thank them for their service? So amazing. And then I also want to just, uh, Pastor JC, I know you're watching live right now. Uh, I want you to know two things. Number one, we are praying for you. And church family, I really do, both campuses, we need to be praying for our pastor right now. There's never a good time to be sick, especially, you know, with this virus. But especially on this weekend, which is so important to his heart with the legacy offering, uh, you know, we just need to be praying for him. But also, Pastor JC, I dedicated this sweater to you, okay? I, I looked out and I said, you know what? Here's how, if you want to know how to pick out a sweater, would Pastor J.C. Worley wear that sweater? And if the answer is yes, you buy it, okay? So that's what I did. This sweater is for you, Pastor J.C. I love you so much. Uh, but we're starting a brand new series today because as you can tell, looking at this beautiful stage right here, it is Christmas, okay? And you should feel good about that. Like, that should make you feel really good. It's a special time of year. Uh, and we're doing this brand new series called the Christmas Gift Exchange. And so each week of this series, we're going to be learning how we can exchange something that's maybe painful or discouraging or hurtful and exchange it for something great that God can offer us. And so before I introduce the topic of what we're going to be uh, going through today, what our gift exchange today is going to be, I want to jump right in and give you a little bit of context about the story we're going to be reading from. So uh, before Jesus was even born, uh, there was someone that came before him, and it was John the Baptist. And uh, John the Baptist was actually going to have a miraculous conception as well. Uh, he had a, a father and a mother named Zechariah and Elizabeth. And what we're going to be looking at here is kind of a side-by-side -side comparison of what happened when the same angel appeared to Zechariah as appeared to Mary. And it's kind of two different things that started to take place. Both would, res would result in a miraculous conception, uh, but they, the stories kind of go two different directions here. So we're going to look at that really quick here. I'm going to be in Luke chapter 1. And so the angel appears, and again, I'm, I'm cutting through a lot of scripture here. you got to go back and read it. It's fascinating. But after the angel tells Zechariah, hey, you and your wife, who are really really old, are going to give birth. And, uh, and this is what Zechariah says, verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. I, I love the wisdom of, the, of a good, smart husband. That's a seasoned veteran. He's like, listen, I'm an old man, and my wife is, well, she's just well along in years, okay? You can learn from the Bible, husbands. You should pick it up sometimes. Verse 19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Now, let's see what happened when the angel appeared to Mary. So the angel shows up to Mary, tells her she's going to conceive the Savior of the world, and this is what she says. 
how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. And if you know Zechariah's story, you're like, oh, she's going to get it. She's in trouble. You're not supposed to ask questions. And then the angel says this. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel just left her. That's it. She didn't get in trouble at all. The angel showed up and she asked a question, seemingly just like Zechariah. And Zechariah not only gets chewed out, but he gets struck silent and wasn't allowed to say anything until after John the Baptist was born. And then Mary asks a question and she gets rewarded and she gets this long, thorough explanation. What is going on here? Why, why the discrepancy? Why was Zechariah not allowed to ask a question, but Mary was? So let's look at their responses side by side here. Let's look, you gotta look a little closer at scripture, okay? So let's look back at Zechariah's response. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? And then Mary said, how will this be, okay? How can I be sure of this? How will this be? How will this be? The difference in the, in the two responses here is Zechariah was asking, how can this even happen? Like, prove it to me. Prove it to me that my old wife is going to conceive. And Mary said, you know what? How will it happen? I know it's going to happen because you said so. How will it happen? The difference between the two of them is that Zechariah needed proof. Mary just wanted a more understanding. Zechariah asked for proof so that he would believe. Mary asked for more understanding because she believed. Hopefully I, I, I explained that well enough for you to get the point here. Because the Christmas story begins before Jesus was even born. In Luke chapter 1, it begins and it's the perfect case study of the difference between doubt and faith. And that's our topic for today. How can you exchange doubt for faith? Now, here's the important thing to know here. This topic right here of doubt and faith has never been more crucial for the church because the amount of conversations I've had, and I'm sure maybe even some of you have had with your loved ones that are questioning their faith right now, we got to answer this. Okay, we got to answer this. So I want a couple of things to know. Maybe you're in here. And no one knows that you've been wrestling with doubts, okay? I'm glad that you're here today. But you need to know something. Doubt does not make you a bad person, okay? It does not make you a bad person. In fact, I'll go as far as to say doubt can actually lead you to a stronger faith than you've ever had before, as we're about to see with Zechariah. So let's look at Zechariah's life, and let's see, because... When the angel appeared, I don't think that's where the doubt started to creep in. The doubt creeped in for Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth before the angel appeared. Let's look at it right here. Verse 6. Both of them, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were righteous in the sight of God. Righteous in the sight of God. That's a really big deal, by the way, to be seen as righteous in the sight of God. Observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless. So they were righteous, 
but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Here's the first thing I want you to know today. If you're going to exchange doubt for faith, you have got to stop putting your hope in your abilities. Okay. If your hope is in your abilities, that's not going to work. Let me, let me explain it to you like this. Zechariah and Elizabeth were able, they were able to follow God's commands blamelessly. They were able to follow God's commands blamelessly. Not a lot of people have ever been able to do that. They were able to do that. However, they were not able to conceive a child. And what you need to know about this culture is in ancient Near Eastern culture, if you were not able to conceive a child, that was viewed as a curse from God. Like you saw yourself as cursed. And so even though God saw them as righteous for what they could do, they saw themselves as cursed because of what they could not do. And spoiler alert here, they end up getting pregnant, so their curse would be broken. But I want to pose to you today that that their curse was not that they were childless or barren. Their curse was the same curse that the rest of the world was under at that time and that every other religion today is under right now. And it's the curse of your abilities justifying you. It's the curse of works-based faith. The exchange for doubt for faith has to come in when you stop putting your hope in your abilities. Listen, Zechariah and Elizabeth couldn't even rejoice in the fact that God, a perfect, holy, spotless God, considered them righteous in his sight. They couldn't even rejoice in that because the only thing they could focus on was what they weren't able to do. All they were thinking about is what they were not able to accomplish. They couldn't even trust the angel because they only focused on their abilities and not on God's abilities. And here's something important that I want you to see here. It wasn't that Zechariah, and maybe if you're in here wrestling with doubt, it's not that you don't have faith. It's that you've put your faith, and it's that Zechariah put his faith in the wrong place in his works. Let, let me put it, put it to you like this. Uh, you remember like trust falls, like as a kid, you know, you get your best friend, and, and you're going to go blind, and you're going to lean right back into him, right, or her, and, and you're, you're like, okay, I trust you. I trust you. I want you to think of it like this, okay? I, I spend a lot of time with, with your campus pastor, Ben Warwick, who does an amazing job. Do you love your campus pastor, by the way? He's awesome. So I got to spend a little time with him and, uh, and his family this weekend, and he's got the cutest little boy. It is literally his mini-me named Judah, and he's so stinking cute. And so I want to put it to you like this, okay? I have a lot of trust for Ben. I got a lot of trust for Judah. But if I'm going to do a trust fall, I'm not going to fall back on Judah, okay? Because I'll crush him, all right? It doesn't matter how much trust I put in him. If I put all my trust in Judah to lean back, he ain't going to catch me, okay? We're both going to the doctor later after that. But even if I had just enough trust that Ben would catch me, because sometimes he likes to play practical jokes on me, and he makes fun of me sometimes, but I love him. So even if I had just enough trust in Ben, who's a pretty big dude, just enough trust to lean back, even if I had a small trust in him, I know that he would still be able to catch me. What am I trying to say here? This is honestly, it's probably the most important, uh, important point of the entire sermon right here. We are not saved by the strength of our faith. We are saved by the object 
of our faith. It doesn't matter how much I believe that little bitty Judah would catch me, he's not going to be able to. So even if I had zero doubts in him and I lean back on him, we're both getting hurt. But the smallest amount of faith in someone that was able to catch me, I would be able to be saved through him. And too many of you think that, oh, no, I need to believe harder. I need to have faith harder. I need to, I need to have more belief, more belief, more belief. That's not necessarily what needs to happen. What you need to evaluate is where are you putting your faith, not how strong is your faith. Because we're all going to go through seasons where it's like, okay, God, I don't know. I don't know. You told me to give this much for legacy, but I don't know. I'm going to do it, though. I'm going to trust you. A little bit of faith, just enough to lean into him, can take you so far. And on the contrary, and this is where I've seen so many people, especially in 2020, your whole life, you've put all of your trust in something way too weak to be able to support you. And so you wanted to lean back on your money, but guess what? Unemployment hit and you fell. And you're like, God, how could you let this happen to me? And God was like, no, you leaned in way too much to your money. You should have leaned into me. Why were you doing that? Or, or it's your status, right? Your fame, your fortune, but then you mess up and everyone leaves you and no one loves you anymore. And you're like, God, what happened? How could you let this happen? He's like, no, you were relying way too much on what people thought about you the whole time. Too much about your abilities, too much about your performance. The gospel is not have a really strong faith in yourself, okay? That's not the gospel. That's every other world. View. The gospel is have the, a tiny little mustard seed of faith in the God who's able to do anything. It's not about your abilities. It's about his abilities. So you got to reposition your faith away from your abilities onto a God who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever ask, think, or imagine. Can you say amen? I know it's early, but come on. Come on, lean in, lean into God. So we're going to shift our focus away from our abilities. That's the first way. We're going to exchange doubt for faith. Let's look a little deeper at this story here. Verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. So we're going back to when the angel actually appeared to Zechariah. Angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. So let me back up here. He's praying, and then an angel appears where he's praying, and it startles him. He's startled that anyone was listening to him. He's startled that an angel would hear his prayer. Now listen. I'm not saying I would have behaved any differently if an angel appeared to me. Angels are not cute little cartoons with wings and halos. Okay, every time you see an angel appear in the Bible, the first thing they have to say is, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's okay. It's okay. Relax. I'm not going to hurt you. Like, because they are huge and intimidating. And this is not something normal. So I'm not saying I would have responded differently, but I do got to pick on Zechariah a little bit to prove a point today. Zechariah's doubt was exposed by the fact that when he was praying, he didn't expect anyone to be listening because he was praying his entire life for a child and it never happened. He was praying forever for a child. He didn't, he didn't even think that God would actually listen or even care about listening to his prayers anymore. And again, it goes back to this. Because he was so focused on him and his wife's abilities, not only was he unable to rejoice that God approved of him and called him righteous, but now he wasn't even able to believe that God would accept him. 
that God would listen to him, that God would hear his prayer. He's just going through the motions because he doesn't understand the second thing that you got to understand today. If you're going to exchange doubt for faith, you've got to trust that God genuinely cares about you. Okay, now listen. I know my points here don't rhyme, and they're not these clever one-liners here, but this is a really, really big deal. Such a big deal that anyone that heard this 2,000 years ago would have been shocked. They would have been shocked. But we hear this today, and we say, oh, God genuinely cares about me? Well, that's nice. You know, that's, that's really great. That's really nice. But I, I got to eat lunch, so can you wrap this up? Like, that's the way we see this. God of the universe cares about you? Come on. That should be a huge deal. There should be no way that you could let a song go by when we sing in the morning where you don't give God all the praise because he actually cares about you. But I think Zechariah is in the same point as I'm coming for anyone raised in church because that was me. Okay, raised in church. For so many of us, we're just like Zechariah. And we have 100% faith in God's holiness, but we don't actually believe that God likes us that much. Right? Like, you don't actually believe that God would care enough about you to do anything for you. You just think all of your hope is in obeying him because I don't want him to get me. Oh, I messed up. God, so sorry. Please, 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 please don't hurt. Like, come on. You've got to, you will not be able to live with a boldness and with a certainty when life shakes you up. If you don't get this, the links that Jesus went to show you how much he cared for you, you've got to be able to latch on to that. But we miss out on relationship with Jesus because we make it all about the rules. Now, again, I'm lumping myself in this category. So I'm going to come for all, all the Christians, okay? If you're raised in church, I just want this to challenge you a little bit. Okay, so before you walk out and say, oh, I don't like that, just listen. Let this sink in a little bit because we, we need to challenge ourselves in some of our spiritual disciplines. Let's determine if you're a Christ follower or a rule follower. Because up to this point, Zechariah was a rule follower and he did a great job at it but he was never transformed enough to believe when God said he would do something good for him. So here's the first thing. If you're a rule follower or a Christ follower, ask yourself this question. Do you pray because it's the right thing to do? Or do you pray because you genuinely believe that God can meet your needs? Like, do you pray because like, oh man, it's like 1145 and I'm so tired, but okay, God, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord. Like, do you pray just to get it out of the way because you're supposed to do it? Or when you pray, are you praying because you genuinely believe you have an, oh, come on, listen to this. You have an audience with the creator of the universe and he's listening and he's like, come on, ask me. Come on, don't turn to another boyfriend. Please don't turn to the alcohol anymore. Please don't turn to, please talk to me. And he's listening and he's like, please talk to me. Let me get involved in your situation. Let me get involved. Is that why you pray? Or do you pray because you're a Christian and you're just supposed to? Okay, let me go to the next one here. Do you worship because you are following the tradition that you're raised in? Well, it's church. You, you sing songs. That's, that's just what you do. Or do you worship because you really want God's presence to show up in the room? Like what if when you worshiped, what if when you lifted your hands, it wasn't because, well, it's church and, and we go to this church, everyone around me is lifting my hands, so I guess, or do you worship? Because it's like, no, Lord, I am wasting my time. If you don't show up here right now, this is all a waste of my Sunday morning, but when you show up, everything changes. Why do you worship? Are you following your tradition or do you really want to see God show up in the room? One more. I could keep going on these, to be honest. And by the way, these are hitting me too, okay, so I'm not holier than now here. This is hitting me. Do you give financially out of obligation? 
Or do you give because you see great opportunities to reach people? When that offering plate passes or when your direct deposit hits and you're like, ah, man, I would have so much more money if I didn't tithe. Oh my goodness, a legacy offering, why? Okay, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it because I don't wanna, you know, what if pastor checks if I'm giving or not and he's not gonna shake my hand on something, right? Like, is that why we give? Is that why we give? Or come on, do you really give? Because it's like, okay, God, you gave me this money. Now who's this for? Who's this for? Because I know everything you gave to me is not for me because everything about you was all for me. You gave it all for me. So what do you want me to give to other people? Where's the best opportunities for me to make an impact? That's the whole point here. Come on. Are you following rules or are you following Christ? Do you understand how much he loves you? Are you just going through the motions? Because Zechariah was going through the motions. He went through the motions, didn't expect anyone to hear his prayers. And when the angel showed up, he was startled. He didn't even expect God to show up. And I would hate for that to be said about Go Church, that we get shocked that God would actually show up in our worship, that we get shocked when God actually answers a prayer. Come on, you got to trust God cares for you. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but what else do you want him to do? What else do you want him to do to prove that he cares for you? That's what we've got to know here. So listen, use Zechariah as an example. It's possible to do Christianity perfectly and still not know the heart of God. It's possible to go through all the motions and check all the boxes and never even fully know the intimacy of a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't want that to be said about you. I don't want that to be said about me. So look, first two things we've seen here. You got to take the focus off of your abilities because that's not the gospel. That's every other religion will always say, what can you do for God? It's not about your abilities. It's about God's ability. And you also got to know you are in a religion that is very, very unique because God says, it's about what I could do for you. It's about how much I love you. Not about how good you can be to me, but what I've done for you. That's our only hope. Now that's good medicine for someone who's maybe a lukewarm Christian or maybe someone who's just uber moralistic, but doesn't understand the heart of God. But now I want to talk to maybe just a few of you that are in this room or watching online or in Germantown that you would say, you know, I don't even know if I consider myself a Christian. I'm, I'm pretty skeptical about the Christian faith. And so doubt for me is more than just, can I trust that God will do something for me? Doubt for me is, I don't even know if I believe in God. Okay, so let me talk to you if that's you. First of all, I want you to know something. There's nowhere else I'd rather you be than right here under the ministry of our church because we're glad that you're here. Everything we're doing is to, is to show you the beauty of this gospel. So, so lean in here for just a second. I want, I want to talk to you here, but, but before I do, I want to tell you the answer I'm not going to give you because church, okay, Christians, I think we've done a really bad job of answering some of the skeptics' questions because we have such a cop-out response where it's like, hey, you just got to have faith. But, but what about X, Y, Z? No, no, no. You just got to have faith. Listen, that's not a good, it's not a good answer. That's not a good answer. You got to be able to really address the question there. And so I want you to know, for those that are skeptics, we're going to talk through this. And I wish I had a whole sermon series to tell you all of the, the reasons for, for having faith. But the first thing I want you to know is this. Christianity is not a blind faith it's an informed faith. There are reasons to believe in the gospel. It's not just something we're like, oh, I'm pretty sure it's true. So I'm, no, there are reasons to believe in the gospel. And so let me break down what Zechariah did, and I'll, I'll give you some points here. So Zechariah asked the angel, and maybe this is where you're at if you're questioning Christianity. Well, how can I be sure of this? Give me proof. Prove it to me. 
prove it to me. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Then the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Now, here's what, here's what a lot of skeptics would do right here. A lot of skeptics would say, well, if an angel showed up to me in my living room, and he, and he told me that God is real, I would believe him respectfully. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. You wouldn't do it. And I'll prove it to you. Zechariah had at least a frame of reference for seeing the supernatural. Like he believed in God. He believed in angels. And an angel showed up and he still didn't believe the angel. He saw the miracle. Listen, the people that killed Jesus could not discredit his miracles. They never discredited the miracles of Jesus. If they could have, they would have. But they couldn't. But they still didn't believe in him. They saw him genuinely heal people that were blind, that could now see, and people that were paralyzed but could walk again. They watched it happen just like everybody else. But because they didn't have a frame of reference for how to look at the evidence, they, were able, they weren't able to see it. They missed it. So to the skeptics that are in the room, and if you're in here and you're like, well, I'm not a skeptic, you need to pay attention because they're going to ask you. Someone's gonna, your coworker is going to ask you, why should I believe? And you need to be able to tell them this. So listen, the third way that you can exchange doubt for faith is you've got to look more carefully at the evidence for faith. And yes, there is evidence for faith. There is reasons to believe in God. So here's the only way you're going to see it, though. Okay, the first thing you've got to do is this. You've got to stop evaluating supernatural claims through a natural lens. Okay, it's never going to work. You are not going to be able to see God and see the evidence through these natural lenses. Here, here's what I mean. I'll show you the verse, and then I'll break it down. Uh, they were, oh, I'm sorry. Whew, got ahead of myself there. So listen, there was, uh, in the 60s, during the space race, uh, Russia sent this cosmonaut into space and uh, the, the cosmonaut went up there and, and he, he looked for God. So he went up into space and he looked for God and he said, you know what? I didn't see God when I was there. So therefore there is no God because if there was a God, I would have seen him. And then uh, C.S. Lewis, who's just a brilliant theolo theologian and author, he wrote a response to this and he said, listen, you wouldn't relate to God the way that you would relate to your upstairs neighbor, where you could just poke a hole in the ceiling and then there he is. That's not the way that you would relate to God. The way that you would relate to God is the way that Hamlet, the character in a play, would relate to Shakespeare. The only way that Hamlet knows who Shakespeare is is if Shakespeare writes himself into the play. Let me make it more modern. All my Marvel superhero fans, okay, Stan Lee, before he passed, put himself in every single movie. The only way Spider-Man knows who Stan Lee is is if Stan Lee writes himself in to the movie. And so you've got to understand this. That's not the way you're going to see God is, oh, go up in space. If he's there, he's real. If, no, that's not the way you do it. You've got to look at the moment where heaven intersected with earth. And that's the second thing you need to know. Start with the moment that Christians claim that the supernatural invaded the earth. Because that's what Zechariah did. He said, the angel told him, I've been sent to speak to you. Man, I wish I could spend more time on this. But you need to know this. You need to evaluate the claim where the supernatural invaded to natural. And there's one spot specifically. You need to start with the resurrection. Okay, you need to start there. I know you got lots of questions. Well, what about the dinosaurs? And, and how old really is the earth? Okay, great questions. Start with the resurrection. Because if Jesus really did raise from the dead, then everything he said 
is true. And it can start to unfold from there. Look at the evidence of the resurrection. And listen, I would love to even, I'll Zoom call you. We can email back and forth. If you want to see proof of the evidence of the resurrection, I could show you so, I could show you more proof of the evidence of the resurrection than I could show you that Caesar invaded Gaul. I could show you more proof. There is so much proof for the resurrection of Jesus Christ that there's more proof for that than most historical events. If you want more resources, you should read the book, The Case for Christ, or watch the movie if you don't like reading. Uh, the Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. He does a great job of that. But the last thing I want to tell you is this, and then I'm going to move on here. You need to admit, if you're questioning Christianity, you need to admit that you may be biased against these claims because you don't believe that they're good news. Okay, you need to admit that. The angel said, look, this is good news. Like, this is good news that I'm going to be giving you. I don't really believe in my head and in my heart that every single skeptic became a skeptic because they did a thorough investigation of all the facts and that's just where they landed. I think most skepticism began whenever they wanted to be free from the rules. I think skepticism began with a moment of not wanting it to be true and looking for ways to confirm my doubt rather than looking unbiased at all of the evidence. And I would tell you this, if you, if you don't want Christianity to be true because you don't want to have to follow all these rules, let me tell you something. The rules are actually what makes Christianity the most palatable. Taking away the rules. I know you think, well, if I don't have to live any rules, I'm free. I can be way more free without all the rules of Christianity. It's a straitjacket after all. It's respectfully, I disagree. Because a fish is way more free when it's confined to the water. Do you think a fish has a lot of freedom when you put it out of the water and you put it on land and watch it go? It suffocates because it's gone broken free from where it was constrained, but it had way more freedom in the water than it did outside. Listen, you were designed to thrive by living under the ways of God. When you try to operate outside, it doesn't work. It leaves you feeling empty. We saw that when Zechariah leaned on his abilities. We've got to understand the gospel gives us more freedom, not less, because you were designed to operate that way. You should want Christianity to be true. You can tell me that you, you might not believe in all of the facts and all of those things, but you should at least want this to be true. You should at least want this to be true because you have an advantage and I have an advantage that Zechariah didn't have. And it was the life of Jesus, the way that Jesus lived. Let me put it to you like this. Imagine you commit a crime worthy of the death penalty and you're standing before the judge and this is a really reputable judge, a, a very a judge in, in such high esteem. And because he's in such high esteem, he's looking at your case and it's, and it's obvious that you're guilty. It's obvious that you're guilty. And so he puts a sentence on you. You're right. You are guilty. You're guilty of this, of this crime that you've committed. So I sentence you to death. But here's the thing. I'm going to pay it for you. And the judge gets up off of his seat, walks down to the bailiff, goes to death row, and then dies the death that you should have died for your crime. That would make headline news if a judge did that. That would, that would be so mind-blowing. But do you understand that that's exactly what the gospel is? You and I are guilty, okay? You're guilty. And even if you have no worldview of Christianity or any religion whatsoever, you know this. You don't even live up to your own standards. You don't even live up to your own rules for your life. And you know that you're guilty. And we have a God that said, I'll pay for that. I'll, I'll walk through that death penalty for you so that you don't have to. 
That is a beautiful thing. This is good news. Okay, so come on. We've got to remember these things. Stop putting your hope in your abilities. Trust that God genuinely cares for you. Look more carefully at the evidence for faith. Now, as I close, let's look at the way that Zechariah's life, uh, or the way that this story ended. Verse 59. So after the baby's born, on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. So he was told, hey, you got to name this baby Zechariah. And they were about to name him Zechariah. And the first thing I want you to see here is look at the humility now to be able to deny that and say, listen, it's not about me anymore. I've been transformed. I don't need a dynasty for myself. I want to be obedient to Christ. Do not name him that. Name him John, Elizabeth says. So then they said to her, come on, I'm not going to name him John. There's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father, because remember, Zechariah can't speak. He's completely mute right now, to find out what he would like to name the child. And I love this. He asked for a writing tablet. Couldn't speak, but he asked for a writing tablet. You know what that that signifies to me? He's done making excuses. And I think you and I need to stop making excuses. Well, Pastor David, if you went through, if you had it as hard as I did, you you would have a little bit of doubt too. If you went through what I went through, come on. Don't make those excuses anymore. There's always a way out. You are not too far into your doubt to find a way out. If you can't speak, then write it down. Come on, if you can't, if you can't get there, come on, call up a friend. Get there. Do whatever you can to make it happen, to be obedient to Christ. Quit making excuses. Start making an effort. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. Listen, you and I have been set free. Do you understand the significance of Christmas? Do you understand the significance of what that means? That Jesus would want to come to earth? Like, do you, do you get that? That you and I have been set free from having to live according to our own abilities? He set us free from that. And so the, our first response, the same way for Zechariah, the first words he was able to use, he dedicated them to speaking and praising God. That should be our first response when we stare at Christmas, when we stare at the cross, our first response should be to look at Christ. So come on, will you praise God? Or do you need more proof? What else do you need? This is the gospel. A vulnerable baby. Look, if you were making up a religion, so listen, if you tuned out everything else I've ever said, tune back into this. This is important. If you were inventing a religion that you wanted the entire world to follow and you wanted to talk about how great your God is, okay, and you were, you were wanting to lie and fool everyone, you would not start the Christmas story like this. You would not paint your God as a vulnerable little baby born in a barn living a life in poverty, humbling himself that much, nobody would be interested in that. No one would be able to, well, your God is so great. He's a baby born in a barn. He's got nothing to convince me of how mighty your God is. Let him show up, you know, in all of his glory and all of his splendor, which that's coming, by the way. We'll talk about that in Easter. But he first appears into the world. He shows up as a little vulnerable baby. Come on, if you were inventing a religion, you would leave that part out. The only reason they wrote it in there is because it happened. 
is because it's true, showed up as a vulnerable baby, grew up in poverty, in obscurity, in the armpit of the Roman Empire in Judea, experiencing all the pain that you've ever felt. You know what the beauty of Christmas is? Is that you serve a God that understands and can actually relate to all the pain that you've ever felt. You ever been betrayed by a best friend? Jesus was. He was betrayed by his best friend. You ever lost a loved one and cried and wept at their funeral? Jesus did when he lost Lazarus. Come on, you ever, you ever have financial hardship? Jesus did. You ever face rejection? Jesus, his first sermon he ever preached in his hometown, they tried to kill him, chase him to a cliff. Didn't go that well. Thankfully, this is my hometown. Don't do that to me, okay? All right, well, I'm coming back to preach to you here. Listen, Jesus gets it. Every emotion that you've ever felt. You ever had an unanswered prayer? Ever had an unanswered prayer? Jesus did. He was in the garden. He said, God, Father, if at all possible, please take this cup from me. Please take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And you know what God said? Nothing. He said, no, it's yours. You got to bear this. I'm not going to answer that prayer the way you think it should. You think God's mad at you because he's not answering your prayer? What do you think Jesus felt? He, the only person in history that God ever had to turn his back on. He had to forsake Jesus. You feel like you're all alone in the world? You don't know that. You don't know what forsakenness looks like. Only Jesus does. He's vulnerable. He's relatable. That's the beauty of the gospel. And he lived the life that you should have lived. And he died the death that you should have died. He lived as beautifully as you should live, but you didn't. And he died the death that you should have died, but you don't have to now. And the beauty of the promise is this. You can experience the same resurrection that he did. You get a chance to be resurrected. Death, it doesn't end in death because he is coming back. My goodness, he's coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to set this world the way that it's supposed to be. And this time he's not coming as a baby. He's coming back in all of his might and all of his splendor to set free the oppressed, to heal the broken, to wipe every tear away. That is the beauty of the gospel. But he came first because he wanted you to have his righteousness. So listen, he went through all of those links. He did that much. Here's my closing question to you. What else are you possibly waiting for God to prove to you? What proof do you need before you exchange your doubt for faith? What else are you looking for? Church, do it now. Come on, if you're watching online right now, if you've got doubts, about the faith, or maybe you believe in God, but you've just put all of your hope in your own effort and your own energy. The, our only hope is not our abilities. It's in what Christ did for us. It's not about the strength of your faith. It's about the object of your faith. Put your faith in Jesus because he's real, because he's powerful, and because he's compassionate. That is the most beautiful combination that you could ever have. So come on all across this place, every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. If you're in here and you say, you know what, that's me. It's time for me to exchange my doubt for faith. I've, I've put my faith in my own abilities or I, I've never put my faith in God whatsoever. Come on, if that's you and it's time to exchange your doubt for faith the way that Zechariah did when he was transformed, all I'm asking, no one's looking but me and your campus pastors. If that's you, can you just slip your hand right up? And you can put it right back down. Come on, all across this place. I see your hands. I see your hands. Hands going up all over the room, exchanging our doubt for our faith. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Come on, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray over you, but I'm going to ask you to get a little uncomfortable, whether you lifted your hand or not. Can you start to express to God your, your 
desire for forgiveness from your doubt? And can you just ask him to give you a fresh start and a fresh revelation of who he is? Come on, let's start to pray all across this house. Can we turn this into a house of prayer really fast? God, I thank you so much that you would go through so many efforts to show us that you're real, to show us your power, and to show us your love for us. Lord, I pray that we would be transformed by that, God, that we would never look back for every hand that went up, God. If it's a first-time salvation, I pray that this would be more than emotional hype, but that it would be a commitment to follow you all the days of their life, God. And for those that are recommitting their life to Christ, that, that they've been going through the motions like Zechariah, but finally they're getting it serious, God, and they're putting their faith back on you, not on their abilities, Lord. Bless us with your presence, God. We lift it up in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Come on, give God some praise this morning.